Well, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago. Some of you knew this. I think my wife perhaps posted a picture on Facebook. Uh, I had the opportunity as a father of a sixth grader to uh, go with my daughter and her classmates to see me. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Catalina Island Marine Institute, I believe, is what that stands for. And we had a great time uh, with, uh, with the sixth graders. This is, I think, kind of a rite of passage for most sixth graders in our community. And so, again, many of you are probably familiar with the idea. Uh, the, the basic concept is you take a bunch of sixth graders. In the case of those from my daughter's school, many of them who had never maybe even been away from home, uh, and you take them away from a home for a few days, you put them on a boat out to Catalina, several of them, shall we say, heave, yeah, what's the right nice word to say there? But uh, they, they learn what it's like to be on a boat for a couple of hours and what that does to your stomach. Uh, you throw in some snorkeling, some kayaking, some uh, tide pooling, some squid dissection, this is a, a highlight of Simi. Some stargazing and, of course, a sweatshirt. And basically, you give these kids an experience that they will... Oh, thank you. Yeah, I spilled some water up here. Uh, you give these kids an experience that... And the chaperones, actually. You, you give these kids and chaperones an experience that they will not soon forget. Now, for the, uh, for the daddy and me, it was a great time to watch my daughter and her classmates just exploring and discovering and, and learning and growing. But for the preacher in me, I couldn't stop taking mental notes. I mean, it was just one sermon illustration after another. I, you know, I mean, stuff just happening all the time with these kids. And the one I want to share with you today, you'll probably hear more in the future, but the one I want to share with you today is from a different activity than any of those I mentioned. It was amazing to me that with all the things that there were to do, this particular activity turned out to be, I think, one of the most favorite of the kids that were participating, the kids that were uh, with, our, with our group. It wasn't the um, kayaking through the kelp beds or snorkeling with the seals. I mean, they're swimming right around some of the kids. It wasn't catching an octopus as we did in the tide pools or the, the early morning hike up to Bible Peak. No, it was the sheer joy and sheer terror for some of jumping off the dock. And uh, this float that's out at the end of the passageway, of the walkway where the boat comes to drop them off. It was one of the last activities before we left. And the kids were simply invited with their buoyant wetsuits that they wear to run and go up on this elevated platform and to just jump off, either by themselves or with a, a buddy or three of them, and just, you know, scream and kick and holler and do whatever they wanted to do. And uh, they barely went underwater because of the buoyancy of their wetsuits, but they had a great time doing this over and over and over. I mean, I'm like, come on, kids, let's get to some snorkeling. But all they want to do is jump off the dock. And uh, what a great time they were having, just the squealing and the laughter as the guides... And chaperones looked on in amazement. But then there was one of the young boys named Alexis. And uh, Alexis is a, is a great kid. I've got to know him a little bit. I've watched him over the years at school. And I'm guessing that maybe Alexis didn't know how to swim really well, if at all. And as he stood on the platform with this wetsuit on, 
and uh, everybody telling him to jump off and not worry because it would push him back up to the top of the water. I'm just assuming that Alexis was hearing that and thinking, you people are completely crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, maybe the craziest thing you'd ever heard. So several times, it was so fascinating to watch, several times Alexis would walk to the edge of the platform. And literally, I mean, he was right here. But he had the greatest spirit and attitude about it because after about 10 seconds of hearing, he'd just go, he just kind of shrug his shoulders and he'd look around and he'd say, there ain't no way I'm going in there. And so this is Alexis. I mean, he's peering over into the dark, deep waters below. And each time he'd, he'd wave his hands to the water and back away. But the other kids kept jumping and Alexis kept watching them and how much fun they were having. And finally, one of the guides linked arms with Alexis. And they walked to the edge of the platform. And they got right up on the edge. And she counted one, two, three, four, <laughs> five. And on five, they went. And I'm not sure how much of it was Alexis and how much of it was the guide going. But they went. And Alexis jumped off into the water into the ocean. He had done it. And Alexis, I don't think he'll ever forget it. The whole dock erupted in applause and cheering for Alexis as he made his way in, as he came up out of the water after, you know, just, I don't think his head even went under. I mean, just barely went under and came up and the place was just erupting in applause and cheering for, for, for Alexis. I don't think he'll ever forget it. I don't think I will ever forget it either. Well, we're, uh, we're beginning a new series today, and, and this story kind of sets the stage, hopefully, for this, this idea, the example of Alexis jumping in, finding the courage to participate in something that was literally way over his head, right, is, uh, is hopefully a fitting one for us. We're calling this series Missio Dei, and uh, there it is. And this phrase is just very simply, or not simply, it's a Latin theological term which means the mission of God. The mission of God. Missio Dei. Say it with me. Missio Dei. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's, it's a good word. The mission of God. And you can see right at the heart is the cross sending being, with the arrows going out. The message of God, the work of God going out now in mission to the world. The mission of God. Missio, missio Dei. And my hope is that like Alexis standing there on the dock, peering over the edge into those dark, deep waters below, those waters that are filled with mystery but filled with meaning and significance, and finally, Alexis finding the courage to jump in, so would we as individual people, as a church community as the body of Christ, so would we as we stand on the edge in a sense, peering out into the, the mysterious but meaningful mission of God that's all around us and before us, would we find the courage to jump in with all that we have and experience all that God has for us there and all that God has in mind for us there. It's appropriate that during the Easter season we would consider the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and how we can participate in it. We know that in the life and death and resurrection, the white 
cloth is, is still there. That the mission of God perhaps found its greatest and most full expression as Jesus was raised from, from the dead. Uh, and, and we also know, as we read the book of Acts, we know about how the, the Christian church began to explode, really, in mission, in, in response to the resurrection and all that had taken place there following that, that Christ event. But it's important for us to know that, as important as these things are, it's important for us to know that this is not where mission begins. The mission of God does not, did not begin in the book of Acts when, when we just decided to, to go out in, in, in mission. No, the mission of God began much earlier than that. You can leave that up there if you, if you don't mind. It's kind of nice to look at it. People get tired of listening to me. Um, the reality is that the mission of God didn't begin in any one event or even a, 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 a series of events. The mission of God, the Bible reveals that this mission is at the very heart of God. It's, in fact, an attribute of God. There's one missiologist, a guy named David Blosh, that he said this, that mission is not primarily an activity of the church. Did you hear that? Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but mission uh, is an attribute of God. He says, it has been a part of who he is from the very beginning. So listen to this. From the heart of God, uh, he, he blessed Abraham, and he sent him out, and he sent the people of Israel out to be a blessing in the world in which they would live. It was from the heart of God that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, in the world to live and to die and to be raised again, to, to provide salvation for the world. It was from the heart of God that He sent out His Holy Spirit and still sends out His Holy Spirit into the world to strengthen and to bless. And it was from the heart of God and continues to be from the heart of God that, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit band together to send out the church, to send out the people of God now into the world in which we live, in mission with God. Uh, perhaps Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he uh, summarized this heart of God best when he said this phrase, and I, I wrote this up here for you because it might be a little bit hard to follow, but just, just see if you can catch this. It's not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God of mission that has a church. It's not the church of God. That, we don't... We don't kind of sit around and think, well, what's our mission? You know, we have a mission. No, God is the God of mission who has a church. He has a people that he is calling and bringing into uh, his life and into his mission in the world. It's not the church of God that has a mission. I just love this. It's the God of mission that has a church. And so we're invited to jump into the Missio Dei. You can take it to blank now. Thanks. Despite our fears, despite our apprehension, despite the unknown of not fully uh, knowing if we'll sink or swim, you know, when it's not our mission, when it's God's mission, that, that, there's some uncertainty there. We don't know exactly where God might lead us. We don't know what exactly God might have in store for His people. But simply put, we have no mission apart from God's mission. Our task is always to be about imagining and discerning where the Spirit is moving and leading 
and to work with God there. Now, in the meantime, there's some things that we can think about. There's some things that we can reflect upon as we're discerning, as we're imagining, as we're, as we're trusting for God to lead us in His mission. There's some fundamental movements that we can make as, as God's people or as a church. But there's some stances or some positions that we can take that will help us to be uh, uh, ready, that will position us to participate well in, in the mission of God, the Missio Dei. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the middle of uh, coaching baseball right now, and so you know, if you come to one of our games, you'll hear me say this, or some of the other coaches, you know, get in the ready position. And every parent or person that's played baseball or been around this, or uh, several sports really for that matter, I know Jared coaching T-ball, and so I'm sure you're talking to the T-ballers about this, and to get in the ready position, because if they don't, and Greg coaches college baseball, and I'm sure every once in a while you still have to talk to even college players about this. I know younger players, if you don't talk to them about this, then, then often you'll look out there, especially in the outfield, and you'll see some kids doing this. <laughs> you, you, whatever, you know, I mean, just everywhere but focused on the game. And uh, maybe it's a dandelion that has sprouted up behind them, and it's, you know, bending over to pick it up, and then, <sighs> you know, I mean, oh, there's a game going on? Don't bother me. I've got a dandelion to deal with. Um, so, so constantly we have to be yelling, get in the ready position, get in the ready position, and everyone knows that the ready position just is, I hope I do this right, Greg, but it's bend the knees. It's kind of up on the toes a little bit, the balls of the feet. It's, it's your, your legs bent, your back straight, your head up, your, your baseball glove out in front of you. You're ready, not if the ball comes to you, but when the ball comes to you. You have to assume that the ball is coming to you because if you don't, you won't be ready when it does ultimately come. So we talk all the time about being in that, in that ready position. And the same way, we want to think and pray and position ourselves as a church so that we can be ready to participate in God's mission and to join with Him, to participate with Him in accomplishing His purposes in the world. I mean, do you understand the magnitude of this? That, that God would invite his people to participate with him in the, in, in the mission that he is accomplishing in the world that, has been, that he's been driving at from the very beginning of time, and he's inviting us to be, to, to be a participant in that, then I, I don't know about you, I hope I do, that, 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 that we want to be ready, that we want to put ourselves in the place, put ourselves in a position where, where we can respond uh, to what God is. Nothing could be worse than a church being flat-footed or being out of position when opportunities participate in the mission of God come our way. Well, when he was here with us uh, last fall for a, a couple of days, uh, Dr. Ron Benefield, he was a pastor in L.A. He was the president of the seminary in, in uh, Kansas City, the Nazarene Seminary. Now he's the, uh, uh, the dean of the, the theology department at Point Loma. Just a, just a great guy. When he was here with us, he shared some of these characteristics of people and churches who are participating in the mission of God. And over the next several weeks, in connection with this idea, this, this conversation about the Missio Dei, I'm going to go back and revisit 
some of those, those characteristics that he shared with, with those who were able to gather on that workshop day that, that, we, uh, that we met with him for. But the first characteristic that he spoke of was essentially what we're speaking of here this morning, that the church, ready for, for mission, will understand it and just grab onto this in case you haven't heard this before but, or haven't thought of it, that the church who is ready for mission will undersell, understand itself less as a sending church and more as a sent church. We'll understand ourselves less as a sending church and more as a sent church. Let's see if I can make sure we all understand that. We believe in missions. We have a missionary president. And Deborah, just raise your hand, Deborah. If you stick around for the annual meeting, you'll get to hear uh, more from Deborah. But Deborah's been our missions president for a long time. <laughs> I was ho- hoping for a little help back there. A long time. And uh, she has so powerfully and, and beautifully led us in engaging with missions, both local and around the world. And uh, and and. And what a blessing. She, she's going she's gonna to step aside, and we're going to elect a new NMI president, a missions president, this year. But I just want to publicly say before all of us, thank you to Deborah, because she's kept that at the forefront. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like she's not doing anything. Most of you know she's the district missions president now. So, so uh, bless her heart for all the work that she's done. We, we have an amazing missions program. And, uh, and we, we, know, we know missionaries. Just this week, I got to email and talk on the phone with, with one missionary who's in one creative access area. Those are the places that they are not really supposed to be necessarily as official church person. So we just say they're in a creative access area. And another one who's getting ready to go to one of those creative access areas. So, so we just, I mean, we cherish our relationships with these folks, and we cherish being part of a connected denomination, part of a connected church where, where missions is happening in a variety of locations. But the danger, I just want to say this to us, the danger in having an effective missions program like we have is that somehow we could begin to substitute in our minds the sending of other people and the supporting of other people in missions around the world. So we could substitute that for understanding that we ourselves are also people sent in mission. Maybe not to international areas, but right to our own neighborhood, right to our own community, right to our own school, right to our own workplace. And the tragedy is that for too long, good Christian people, especially those of us in the West, in the United States in particular, have lived this sort of vicarious mission existence by giving money or by praying, things that are great. But these things have at times kept us from understanding ourselves as being people sent in mission as well. And whole churches and whole denominations and whole movements really can just become separated from the whole idea of the missio 
they, one author said it like this, it's taken us decades to realize that mission is not just a program of the church. Our challenge is to move from being a church with a missions program to being a church carrying out the mission of God. I think Deborah's done an outstanding job with our local church in doing this very thing. But we have to continually guard against it. Amen? We love, um, again, to send others, but we need to remember that we are a sent people. So I guess just an initial question as we dive into this, this series is, is, where is God sending you? To whom is God sending you? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Where is God sending you to shine the light of Jesus. We are not just ascending people, we're ascent people. Well, I, I want to I close finally um, by looking at a text of Scripture. I, I, don't, I don't often, I don't think I've ever waited this long in a message to, to, to bring out the Bible. And some of you are probably like, eh, are you going to do that anytime soon, Pastor James? <laughs> I think that's kind of a centerpiece of our existence, our reason for gathering. It is indeed. And I intentionally left this text for the end because I, of all the things that I've said so far, this is going to be the best part. I'm just telling you. And, uh, and, 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 and I just want to say that um, I, I have just, just dwelled in this text, this particular portion of Scripture for a long time in my life. And this is going to be the, the kind of a, a foundational text for the next eight weeks in our church. So I hope you like it too. Uh, we'll look at some others as well, but, but today just this one. It's Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Don't, don't put it up quite yet. Um, it's one of the lofty peaks of the New Testament. I, I mean, you know, there's not like there's any valleys in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong, but, but this is just, I mean, it's where... The New Testament just soars, especially in Paul's writings. Uh, this, uh, again, not only in the letter of Philippians, but in all the New Testament. In just a few short verses, this, this hymn, really, that, that many scholars believe uh, Paul either <clears throat> wrote at a different time than when he was writing this letter to the Philippians, or he, he borrowed it. He read it out of the hymnal. I don't know if there was a hymnal, but he, he, he found it. Somebody else had written it, and he thought, that's perfect for this letter to the Philippians. I'm going to use that. It's not sure who wrote it, but, but it's one of the earliest statements of the activity of God in Christ. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's powerful. Um, it's more than just fancy language. It's poetry. It is that. It's, it's kind of this hymn. It just, it's, again, it's soaring language, as you'll see. But it's more than just fancy language because Paul used it for a very specific purpose. He used it as a means of, of setting an example and calling the Philippian people to embody the pattern of Jesus' ministry in their own lives and in their own relationships. And in fact, you'll see, it begins, you, you should have this same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, what Jesus did, we should have that same approach, that same same way of thinking. Think this way as Jesus did. And we want to consider it in terms of 
how it calls us to embody the pattern of Jesus in the pursuit of God's mission in the world. So this is going to add to the question, not only where is God sending you or to whom is God sending you, but how is God sending you? A very important piece uh, to the puzzle. So let's read this text. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. I'll just read it for you at the end. You know what to do. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to be spending uh, lots of time with this, so I don't feel the need to unpack the whole the whole section of scripture. Mostly what I wanted you to do this morning is just kind of just kind of marinate in it a little bit. But, but I do want to just bring out three, three words. I'm not going to say much about them, but just three words for you to write down that, uh, that, that will help us as we start this process of thinking about not only where in mission and to who in mission, but the how, the how of the missio dei. And, and I don't know, they're kind of big words, but I think you can get them. Um, interestingly, this is a story that, uh, this is a passage that tells the story of, of God's mission in Jesus, right? Just summary form, right there, boiled it down. And at the same time, it gives the pattern for how the rest of us are to carry out that mission, uh, that missio dei. I just uh, am amazed by the dual functionality of this. But here we, here we find a way of thinking, a pattern for living that we're to take on as we're sent in the world in mission with God. The first word is this, kenotic. K-E-N-O-T-I-C. There it is, kenotic. That's a, that's a big word. And I, it's funny because I looked this up and I thought, well, maybe it has multiple meanings, but it has one meaning. And it, the meaning of this word is the self-emptying of Jesus. The self-emptying of Jesus. And maybe you remember it just quickly there in in that passage we just read, it just said he emptied himself, right? Didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And scholars have debated what this means, and there's lots of different interpretations and ways of, of thinking about this, but this canonic activity of Jesus, if we have to boil it down and just say at least one thing is this, that Jesus willingly, for the sake of God's mission, poured out himself. He poured out his, his, uh, his authority, his power, his attributes. He poured it out. He emptied himself in, in humble self-giving. Now, I think this is just huge because this is a, something that teaches us about how we are to go in mission to the world around us, not with, with domination in mind, not with asserting our authority and our rule and our power and our influence, but with self-emptying humility as we 
follow God in his mission in the world. Canonic, this, this idea of humble emptying of ourselves, not grasping. I mean, Jesus could have exploited and grasped the fact that he was God himself, but he chose not to do that. And so we choose as we follow him in mission, not to choose, not to, not to choose the, uh, the way of power and authority, but the way of, of humble self-emptying and sacrifice. The second word is this, incarnation. Incarnation. And this simply comes out in this uh, incarnational, this, this idea of the, how we go on mission incarnationally. That just means to, to be in the flesh, right? That God was in the flesh in Jesus. And, and uh, it talks there about how Jesus came alongside. He entered into, he took on humanity. He became one of us. And so this reminds us that, that mission is not just another program. It's not just another kind of creative idea. Mission at its heart, the missio dei, is identifying with other people on their turf. It's moving to where they are, moving to the conversation that is going on in their lives as opposed to just always trying to attract them to the conversation that we are having in, in, in the church. It's incarnation. It's going to the turf of others. And the third word is is redemption or redemptive. We go in mission re redemptively, and, and the passage there in Philippians talks about how Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, and did you hear it? Even death on a cross. And we've been talking about that over these last couple of months, just about how Jesus' purpose and his mission was to bring about redemption. And so he, he came in mission, Jesus did, to bring about redemption, life, to, to, to give people freedom. And so as we go in mission, as we have that same attitude that Jesus had, we go in mission bringing about hope, speaking words of possibility, of optimism, of life, and of grace. We go in mission canonically, incarnationally, and redemptively. Just a few words for us to hold on to. This is such a powerful text, and we'll get the chance to, 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 make, um, uh, to, to have more time to unpack it in the weeks to come. But I, I hope that maybe you'd even take some time, even now and in, in, in the coming days, to just read through that passage a few times. Read through that passage, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and, and, and allow the truth just to begin to, to sink in to who you are and to who you're understanding yourself to be in mission with God. Well, the good news is, you guys, we've been invited to participate with God. There's this, and, and uh, when, when uh, Ron Benefield was here, he talked a lot about this, but this amazing idea that that there's this triune relationship, right? This, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of, I mean, we might just call it the inner circle. I mean, that's about as inner circle as you can get, right? And, and, uh, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who are together in mission, I hope you're liking my visual aid here, have invited you and me into the circle. I got a friend of mine who used to always say this, yeah, we're really close. This is me over here, you know, way out here. God's invited us into 
the inner circle. So that we can share in his holiness, that we can share in, in his character and his nature. And, and, and what did we say earlier that is in his nature? Mission. Mission. And so as we're invited into the inner circle, we are in the same breath and in the same moment sent out into the world to be his people. The missio dei. Let's participate from sending to send. God, thank you so much for, uh, for the mission that, uh, that has been a part of who you are from, from all time. It's just, it's, it's part of your nature. It's part of your character, God. You, you can't not be about mission. It just, it just radiates from who you are. It, it, and it, it's a mission that in, involves um, justice, and it's a mission that involves compassion. It, it's a mission that involves restoration. It, it's a mission that involves salvation. It's a mission that involves restoring humanity and really all of creation to its original design. And God, you're inviting us to participate with you. Maybe for too long some of us have lived vicariously through others who have been in missions around the world and in various places, maybe even our local context, but they've been doing the work of mission. We've, we've, just, we, we've failed to see or we've chosen not to accept the fact that we too, if we're a follower of Christ today, are, are invited and called to mission. We are sent people. And so, Lord, today, as we embark on this, uh, this study, this soaking in the idea of, of the missio dei, would you, would you begin to speak to us about where and about to whom and would you begin to speak to us about how, as we follow the example and live out the attitude of Jesus. We give you thanks, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.